This is iUniverse Radio, brought to you by iUniverse, the leading book marketing, editorial services, and supported self-publishing company. iUniverse Radio is your opportunity to hear firsthand from authors about their new books. It's an in-depth discussion about the author's passion about the development of his or her story in their own words. It's an inside look into the characters and the plot and how the story all came together. Here is iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen. The title of the book, Gorging Out, and the author is Robert McNeil, and Robert joins us now on iUniverse Radio. Hello, Robert. Hello. Well, nice this, to be here. Well, great to have you with us. This is a really different, a very, very different plot, very uh, different theme. And, of course, uh, the title itself, and we'll get into uh, the, the actual meaning of gorging out, at least uh, from your background at Cornell University uh, many, many years ago. But let me just share with everyone how you introduce your book. You say this, the novel features a twisted and perverse thesis topic. What are the sexual natures of men who look up women whose availability is advertised through graffiti on men's rooms' walls, and how it leads to insanity and murder. You also say this, uh, kind of describing uh, the main character, Roger Froelich. You say, sent on a quest to find his missing cousin, who he hates, Roger finds himself suddenly propelled into a web of extortion, suicide, and murder. Well, it has all the ingredients of a spellbinder, doesn't it? Uh, well, I certainly hope so. I think it does, yes. Well, let's start out with the reason why you wrote this, Robert. Well, the reason, basically, it's, it, it all is wrapped up with my career as a graduate student. Uh, when I got the idea for this novel, <clears throat> I was trying to write my thesis, uh, which I ultimately did. And I used to go up to the seventh floor of the main library at Cornell to uh, have a quiet place to work. And uh, the restrooms there, the men's rooms there, had all kinds of graffiti on them. And a lot of the graffiti were the ones I kind of describe as being the theme of the book, uh, of uh, women who are available, and uh, and also uh, other comic and uh and sort of scatological things that people write on restroom walls. And so the the actual graffiti that I quote there in the book uh, came right off the walls of the men's rooms at Cornell. I guess uh, that's, a, you, that's a whole yeah. psychological study, isn't it? Why men write on <laughs> the men's room's walls. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I thought that it would make a good thesis if uh, the predicated that that somebody was writing all those things down, not necessarily the people that you think are, to be part of a thesis, to, to kind of rope people into explaining their sex lives and why they would call somebody whose name they found on a restroom wall. And, and you know, the idea behind it, actually, the, the hypothesis is that the, the high achievers are the ones that don't let themselves be um, diverted from their from their work 
uh, and women are a diversion. Uh, the, the thing is that the cousin that the narrator is looking for is a very strange guy and really uh, kind of a misogynist and somebody that really doesn't like sex. So he's really looking to belittle it and to belittle the the women who are um, the pawns in his, his thesis. But as you put it, uh, it turns into a web of extortion, suicide, and murder. Let's talk about Roger Froelich, the main character, the narrator, right? Right. Tell me, tell us about him. Well, he's a, a himself is a failed graduate student. He uh, more or less flunked out of graduate school and. Uh, in the middle of the winter, uh, he was going to Berkeley, and he uh, decides to try to recuperate his his equilibrium by going to Milwaukee, his hometown, and seeing his aunt, who was the one who raised him, who was also the mother of Fritz, the evil graduate student. So he does that, and when he gets there, uh, his aunt asks him if he will go to Ithaca and look for her son because she's lost contact with him. And they had parted on very bad terms having to do with money. That He kept asking for more and more money to uh, do his thesis. And uh, But Roger himself is is a little strange. He, he shares some of the characteristics of his cousin, and he, he can be rather... Uh, appalling in, in, in the statements that he makes, kind of a the anti-ethnic and uh, various things like that. But he's basically meant to be uh, a sympathetic character, and uh, and I kind of delve into my own personality somewhat in order to to do that. But I, I can see that somebody who read through the book would come to the conclusion conclusion that he's not sympathetic at all that he's really kind of almost as diabolical as his cousin. Now, along the way, in trying to fulfill his promise to his aunt, who who uh, is dying and who has died? You know, she's, she's in the process of dying. Okay. Uh, he commits several crimes himself. Yes. Well, starting off with minor ones like robbing the males and ending up by actually uh, a murder uh, that he has to conceal um, he and, and misappropriation of a, a large amount of money that comes into his hands he really uh, doesn't put any boundaries on his own conduct so we have a, a rather perverse kind of uh, secondary theme as you call it his devotion and love for a dead woman yes that's the main uh, he, he finds out um, before he goes to Ithaca that there is a woman there that was involved with his cousin and involved with this project who committed suicide by gorging out. Uh, and she uh, was an extremely beautiful but very promiscuous woman who was uh, completely screwed up in the head through uh, childhood incest and, and uh, various experiences she had that she she became totally promiscuous and uh, uh, Roger's cousin Fritz sees an opportunity to use her 
to gather data for his thesis, and so he does. But but Roger sees a picture of her, and uh, he he's very struck by her, and he's also also struck by her her conduct, and he imagines himself being involved with her. So that uh, that is an important sub theme in the book. Now, is this based on real people then? No, not at all. I entirely made it up. <laughs> okay. Sounds real, unfortunately. Yes. Yes. Uh, now there's the professor uh, in the Department of Human Behavior. Tell us about right. him. He's rather sinister. Well, he is rather sinister. He he uh, is was the advisor to this to the graduate student Fritz, and uh, and when Fritz disappears, this guy doesn't seem to care that much. He says, "Oh, he'll be back." You know, graduate students also all are frequently take some time off, uh, but but this professor is really also death obsessed. His wife had died maybe twenty years before, and he goes down nearly every day into the cemetery uh, to pay her a visit. And he's always putting fresh flowers on her grave and leaving her a little presents at Christmas time. And it's, I mean, it's quite bizarre. Uh, and he is he's a main character, and his obsession with his wife turns out to be very important, too. Now, there's also the mental health counselor. Right. That's his, his daughter, the professor's daughter. And uh, she has uh, gone off the deep end and has ended up being institutionalized at a private clinic. And so uh, Roger has been looking for her, too, because she really holds the key to a lot of what happened, why this woman committed suicide and uh, other various themes that she's able to resolve. And Roger tracks her down. He, he, he basically breaks into the clinic and pretends to be a doctor and interviews her. Now, you also present this kind of uh, point. You say, does lack of involvement with a woman lead to greater intellectual achievement? Is, uh, you know, when you're obviously uh, pursuing an academic career, uh, it's very, very demanding. So are, are you saying that uh, then women are distracting? Uh, basically, I, I, I am saying that, but it's not like trying to get people to give up their contact with women. It's finding that subset of the population that's already more or less decided that women are a waste of time. So there, there's always that subset, and, and then there's always, uh, unfortunately, there are those who are... Uh, very perverted and go down these crazy roads. Your your plot may be real. Well, maybe so. I don't know. I I never encountered a thesis <laughs> quite like the one I made up. Well, maybe, uh, yes, maybe maybe somebody should take that as a thesis topic and try it out. Well, and of course, gorging out that is uh, a very very uh, serious and real situation at Cornell. Uh, yes, it, it does seem to be. And, uh, you know, the, the thing about Cornell is it's ideally placed for people to uh, commit suicide by jumping off a high place because these, these gorges go right through the, the campus. And one of the things that makes the campus beautiful and also obviously very, very dangerous. 
To some. Right, exactly. Yeah, and to I, some. I went, my wife and I went up to Ithaca last uh, February because I wanted to take some pictures I could use on the cover of the book, and I got one that I thought was quite good that uh, shows this uh, rushing waterfall and then in the distance a suspension bridge. Mm-hmm. And there is the the setting, yes, for gorging right. out. Uh, you also asked this question, should one literally sacrifice everything, including one's life, to an all-consuming idea such as Fritz, Fritz does? Uh, yeah, that's sort of a, a kind of a rhetorical question. I, I, uh, I think it's that he's so obsessed with his own thesis work that nothing else really matters. So he's perfectly willing to commit crimes and have people end up dead, uh, and uh, it's not going to really bother him at all. But the narrator, uh, of course, uh, we're talking about Roger Froelich, he does go through a change. Uh, he does. He starts off as, uh, as well, he, he becomes more and more focused, and what focuses him is his loyalty to his aunt. I mean, she was the person that really saved him when he was a child. And as the time, as as the the plot progresses, uh, he's more and more uh, feeling responsible for her. So that at the end, he goes back to Milwaukee to uh, be with her in her last moments. So the whole idea of this thesis uh, was based on lists of sexually promiscuous women whose names are written on bathroom walls and. What happens when the main character looks several of them up? So right. all, all kinds of interesting things happen. Yes, exactly. And, and uh, I have a couple of instances where he looks them up and they turn out to be, these, the first one he looks up turns out to be a complete nut. And uh, then, then he looks up another one who turns out not only to be one of the, uh, the women on the list, but also the uh, the uh, kind of the man office manager for the human behavior department. Incidentally, there is no such thing as the human de- <laughs> behavior department. Sounds like a, a government tribunal. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Yes. Well, give us a closing thought, Robert. Well, I hope that people will uh, what what I like about this novel and spent the most time on was the structure uh, so that all the themes that are uh, introduced in the first chapter are resolved in the la- by the last chapter. And I think that's the the, the uh the greatest achievement on my part in the in the book is fitting all the pieces together so that they actually do fit to create this uh, this superstructure of this strange thesis and its bad effects on on everybody. A strange thesis that really could be reality after you put all the pieces together. Right. Exactly. Gorging Out. The author is Robert McNeil. Robert, tell us how to get your book. Well, the, I have a I have a website uh, that's just www.gorgingout.com, uh, and the website has uh, a click that you can order the book. 
So that's the, and also the advantage of the website is it it gives several excerpts from the text and kind of offers a a summary of of the beginning at least of the book. Well, thank you, Robert. Thanks for being with us on iUniverse Radio. Well, I enjoyed it. You're listening to iUniverse Radio. We'll be back right after these messages. Ready for the most current feel-good gossip? Then check out Daytime with Donna with your host, Donna Intercastle. And sidekick Nina Fry. Every Friday afternoon at 2, 1 Central on Toginet.com. You simply the best. Better than all the rest. Donna is a charismatic market-driven entrepreneur who was part of the team that founded iVillage.com, which is the largest content-driven community for women today. Donna and Nina are here to empower you, motivate you, and encourage you in all aspects of your life. It's like Oprah on the radio. Plus, your chance to win great prizes, all the way up to a $500 Visa gift card. For more on Donna Intracasso, check out her website, introinc.com. Then join us for the show, Daytime with Donna, with your host, Donna Intracasso, and sidekick Nina Fry. Friday afternoons at 2, 1 central on toginet.com. Evermore. People have the means to live, but no meaning to live for. These are the words of Dr. Viktor Frankl, the inspiration for the movie Victor and I. That's V-I-K-T-O-R and I, movie.com. And TalkSense Radio, The Meaning Connection, with host Mary Similuka and frequent contributor Alexander Vesley. Friday afternoons at 3, 2 central on toginet.com. More and more people today are discarding their quest for money, possessions, and things, and are instead beginning a serious quest to find meaning in life. Until now, these discussions were historically in the hands of priests, ministers, and scribes, then to philosophers, psychiatrists, and psychologists. Now, these deep discussions are where they should be, in the hands of individuals, on the air, with you. Talk Sense Radio, The Meaning Connection, with your host, Mary Similuka, and frequent contributor, Alexander Vesley. Friday afternoons at 3, 2 central on toginet.com. Welcome back to iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen. The title of the book, The Sergeant Major Syndrome, a book for people who want to advance their careers. And the authors are Roy Jacques with Mary Hobson. And Roy joins us now on iUniverse Radio. Hello, Roy. Hello. Good to have you with us. Uh, This is going to be a critical look at why people advance and why others don't. This Sergeant Major Syndrome, you say this about your book. You were a high-potential individual contributor. Your tech sales or, or creative skills were valued. You got great performance reviews, a few raises and promotions into management. Then things soured. The road to the top seemed to become a glass ceiling. Others began to pass you by. You began to worry about your job security. What happened? Well, you're going to answer that big question, aren't you? What happened? This is something that happened in my own experience about 30 years ago and has happened to many people that I know. Uh, There are millions of people in this situation. The short answer is that the skills that caused you to be valued in your job 
aren't the same skills that you need once you become a manager. And life experience, on-the-job training, even business school, don't do a good job of telling you what it is that you need to do in order to be successful in your first couple of management positions. Well, this is not your first book. You've looked at uh, a different aspect of the corporate world. Tell us a little bit about yourself and why you felt motivated to focus in on this subject. Sure. Um, I've been in the job market since I was 13, back in 1965, and I've done everything from washing cars for a dollar an hour to consulting for $2,500 a day to building and selling my own business. Um, and this book represents things that it took me 30 years of experience and study to learn about why it is that so many people early in their management career shut the door on their advancement while thinking that they're doing the exact opposite. They're smart, they're hardworking, they care about the organization, and yet what they're trying to do and what the organization needs and values are different things, and it works out to the disadvantage of both. And so you looked at it from the point of view of the military uh, just to give some kind of of, of well, this sergeant major syndrome occurs in the military. Yes, it does. In fact, uh, you could look at Burt Lancaster's role in From Here to Eternity as representing it. Um, but um, I've never been in the military, and the title of the book is a metaphor that's based on the old British Army when officer commissions were sold to the sons of the aristocracy so that you were never going to get beyond sergeant major no matter how well you did based on merit. And today, there are a lot of people who have plateaued in their first or second level management jobs, not because of official organizational policy or because of social class, but because the game is played according to a set of rules that they only partially know. And they're doing their best, but they're finding themselves up against a glass ceiling. Now, your book is divided into two sections. Section one explains the nature of the phenomenon, its origins, and its consequences, and it makes two points. Why don't you give us uh, kind of an overview of those two points? A lot of people feel that you get ahead by doing your job well, and it's really important to recognize that doing your job and getting your next job are two different jobs, and if you're only working on your task and not working on your career, you're only doing one of your two jobs. The second is that your personnel file is not the thing that solely determines you're getting ahead. Organizations are not rational and bureaucratic as much as they are tribal and social. And sergeant majors have a tendency to look at building a social network as a distraction from the so-called real work. The meetings, the parties, the time spent chatting people up, getting to know people. Sergeant majors have a tendency to think of this as wasted time when actually it's a critical part of doing the job and building your career. Now you talk about the phenomenon of being balanced that is a problem for sergeant majors. Sergeant majors have a tendency to think in terms of maximizing and minimizing, maximizing the good and minimizing the bad. But organizations are complex, 
that uh, your team isn't the only thing going on in the organization. And usually there are enough conflicting things that are going on that compromise is much, much more important than doing the best possible job with your one particular task. If you have a team of six people working on a component going into a photocopier, um, it's much more important to be aware of what the overall goals of the organization are and what the needs of the other teams are that are working on the larger project than it is just to do the best possible job with the one task that you're working on. So if you go out and, and your main goal is to slay dragons against impossible odds, that may not be your best approach. Exactly. Many sergeant majors think of themselves as warriors, and they're in a job that requires diplomats, not warriors. Now, your second part of your book, uh, Section 2, you discuss what to do about the sergeant major syndrome, and you outline three broad paths available to the sergeant major. So let's talk a little bit about those three different paths. For just about anybody in the workplace, uh, these three paths are your three general options. Now, the first is to thrive as a sergeant major. There's nothing wrong with being a first-line supervisor um, or a first- or second-level manager, as long as that's your choice and as long as you've figured out how to make it work successfully for you. The second choice would be to advance into management, but if someone plans to do that, we lay out a lot of the requirements and hard choices that that will require and suggest that someone think very, very hard about whether or not they're willing to make that commitment, because if they're not, there's no point starting out in that direction. The third choice, if you um, can't become a leader and you don't want to be a follower, is to go off and start your own business. And we also talk about the pluses and minuses of this, with the major caveat that if you're a sergeant major and you go off to start your own business, your first employee is going to be a troublesome sergeant major, you yourself. Now, sergeant majors with this kind of view of life, do they have a hard time marketing themselves? Frequently. Bear in mind that sergeant majors typically come from a background where they were doing the work. They were the best salesperson. They were the most highly valued programmer. They were the most creative person on an ad team. Um, they're used to kicking out a product where better does mean better. Once they become a manager, they've moved into a social world of optimizing relationships, of being able to give something up in order to get something else. And it's a different mindset. As I said, it's not the mindset of the warrior, it's the mindset of the diplomat. And many sergeant majors have a hard time making this shift in their thinking. Now you have a quick sergeant major test. Uh, tell us about this test. These are simply qualities that one frequently finds in a sergeant major. Now, every single one of them can be a good quality because sergeant majors tend to be intelligent and dedicated people so they have many many good qualities but to the extent that any of the items in this list uh, describe who you are you're more likely to have the mindset that will um, 
result in difficulties for you if you're put into the um, more diplomatic, more collaborative world of having to be a manager. So it's kind of trying to play a game using the wrong rule book. Very much so. And one of the difficulties that I talk about in the book is that the informal rule book is a rule book that nobody tells you exists in the first place. So that when you're violating the unofficial rules, you very often don't know it. Um, a lot of this book is based on mistakes that I made earlier in my career. And many, many times in my first management job in software, I did things to mark myself out to senior management as a potential problem when I thought that what I was doing was demonstrating that I was an excellent employee. Now, do you recommend that those who look at themselves as sergeant majors, would they be better off being self-employed? Not necessarily. Um, I would say that if we look at the millions of people who are in sergeant major type jobs right now, uh, a large number of them would best be suited by any of those three options. For some, recognizing that managing a team and being close to the um, goods and services that your company is producing is where you want to be. That as you go into middle management and you start dealing with reports and meetings rather than the nuts and bolts, that you're going to be less happy. For another group, moving ahead in the organization and getting more and more senior management positions would be the right thing for them. And for yet another group, uh, they have the type of personality that's going to be best served by running their own show. But for any of those choices, there are some serious trade-offs, and we attempt to discuss some of the biggest trade-offs that are associated with each of those choices. Now you have a warning, don't forget the value of time. Absolutely. Um, if somebody moves from a 40-hour job into a management position that requires them to be thinking about their work 24-7, they're doing more than just moving into a different set of responsibilities. They're changing their life. This could affect your relationship with your partner, your relationship with your children. It could mean a sacrifice on things that you like to do in your spare time. And the cost of this is something that should be weighed if someone is thinking about moving forward. It's another reason that someone might be more happy with a well-defined job. And that's why you... Uh give this very emphatic direction, look deep into your soul. Absolutely. I think that we come from a culture where we've heard about getting ahead so many times that it gets deeply ingrained in us. Um, I left the best job that I ever had as a software support team leader because I felt the need to get ahead. I got an MBA, I moved into management, and to this day, I don't think I've ever had a job that I liked as much as my old software support job. The title of the book, The Sergeant Major Syndrome, a book for people who want to advance their careers, and the authors are Roy Jacques with Mary Hobson. Roy, tell us how to get your book. It's available on Amazon, and a lot more information is available on our website, sergeantmajorsystems.com. 
Have any closing thoughts, Roy? That based on my experience so far, this book has been very, very well received by people who are in sergeant major positions. So I would really hope that people who find that this describes their work life or who know somebody whose work life is described by this will give it a chance. Roy, thanks for being with us on iUniverse Radio. Thank you very much. You're listening to iUniverse Radio. We'll be back right after these messages. How to invest, where to invest, where to save, where to get the right insurance, what to do about taxes. Should I relocate my business or ever purchase a property? That's where Go To My Radio Show comes in. Join host Chris Holt Tuesday afternoons at 1 Pacific, 3 Central on GoToMyRadioShow.com. Choose the right financial professional and learn more about the products and services while learning the terminology and strategies used by these professionals. Go to my radio show is unbiased and Chris Holt, your host, will ask the hard questions and take calls to help you connect with the right professional who can help you better handle your financial and business choices. Go to my radio show is not a financial services company and does not offer any financial advice, but we will help you make the right choice when it comes to planning your financial future. And most of all, choosing the right program and the right professional for you. Go to my radio show with Chris Holt Tuesday afternoons at 1 Pacific, 3 Central on GoToMyRadioShow.com. Hey moms, juggle your hats with our mom of many hats, Angie Mazzillo. Friday afternoons at 5 Eastern, 4 Central on the Mom to Mom Network. Moms are always juggling their hats. And sometimes it's easy for moms to forget their value when life calls for switching from role to role. But the ability to juggle so many hats is priceless. She is never just a mom. She's a decision maker, coordinator, creative genius, counselor, a friend, an authority, and a leader in her household. On Mom of Many Hats Radio, we'll be talking about the hats that you as a mom juggle. We'll acknowledge your importance and support in helping you and all moms to not just defend your value, but to believe in your value. For more on the show and Angie, check out her website, azmamaminihats.com. She is a strong woman. She is powerful. She is wonderful. And she is valuable. Mom of Many Hats with Angie Mazzillo. Friday afternoons at 5 Eastern, 4 Central on the Mom to Mom Network. Welcome back to iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen. The title of the book, A Balanced Life. How to, how to achieve success in every area of your life. And the author is Anise Blamur. And Anise joins us now on iUniverse Radio. Hello, Anise. Hello. How you doing? Well, great to have you with us. Great to uh, talk about these four principles of a balanced life that you have put together. Uh, it's not only idealisms it's practical because you proved it you've done it and we'll talk about what you've done and the details but let me read what you have written about your book you say this a balanced life is one in which all areas of your life are being controlled by you during both good and bad times it's not about all things going well all the time a balanced life is a life in which you have balanced not only your finances, but also your spiritual life, your emotional life, and your educational life. It is the direct result of making educated choices and staying focused. Having a balanced life is a daily task. It never stops. 
Got to emphasize that, don't we? It's a daily task. That's correct. Well, Anise, before we start talking about your book in detail, tell us about yourself, kind of your story briefly. Give us a little autobiography just to let us know that you've walked the walk, not just talked the talk. Well, definitely, I can start by saying um, uh, I was born in Haiti, and I came at the age of uh, 18, 19 here in the state, in the United States. Uh, basically, when I, I came, as I mentioned in the book, I came with nothing but uh, education, which is a high school diploma equivalent. And uh, I went to college, of course, for Miami-Dade College in Miami, Florida. And I continue on with my education with uh, Florida International University, where I did my bachelor. And I continue with a master's at Barry University, which is, again, here in Miami, Florida. Now, there are other things that I was, I was doing while I was going to school. It's mostly doing uh, part-time or full-time work. But uh, I was doing that. I, I, I decided to open my own business um, in 2001 because I, I, I left a company where I was a chief financial officer, um, which is, I believe, the name of the company was Zentic, Zentic Inc. I mention it because uh, I had a lot, a lot of uh, good memories from Zentic. Now, one of the things about my life is I was really concentrating on the education and I, I was, I always believed that that will free me one day, finding a good job, and um, of course, you know, excel in that. And I would, you know, that would that would help in in my future, and that would be it. Now, I realized that by working on this, it did help me. It did help me by working on my education. I found good jobs. I did investments, and I made some good money. However. In 2008, 2009, I invested in a radio. <laughs> I tried to, I, I did a lease to own on a radio station, and I lost everything that I had, all money, people that, uh, other people's money, my own money, because I, I, I believe at that time I was shooting for the money. I was shooting for making more, more, and more. Then I realized, okay, great, that, that, that's not enough. And I had difficulties with my family because I spent too much time, one of the reasons, of course, spending too much time at, at work, trying to build my own business, trying to uh, keep the money. And it was very difficult looking at the money going down from up to down. It was very hard on me. And that created um, a, a lot of chaos, uh, uh, you know, family-wise and business-wise. So these... This situation in the past really kind of destroyed destroyed my financial and almost destroyed me, destroyed the whole self, you know, this almost destroyed Anise Bemir. So I decided, you know, I, I have to start writing. And that's when I started writing because not only... I the the financial was a problem was a diff, was difficult and the emotion started being difficult because my wife uh, wanted me in the house he, he, she wanted, she believed that uh, the you know the the job was too much for me she believed several things and I even say jealousy was part of it so the emotion was attacked so I said you know what I I cannot give up so that's when I 
started really writing about, you know, how to achieve or how to get out of this uh, mental state that I was. And then I started writing about how to balance my life. So I realized that I had the education. That cannot go away. I cannot let it go. I noticed that the emotion was uh, kind of not in, in balance. I thought maybe that, and that's when I believe, you know, Anis Blumen has to make a change. So therefore, when I looked at the, my weakness on those sides, and I said, you know, Anis, you have to wake up. Okay. Yes, you have the education. Yes, you have the uh, the, the emotion has has been attacked. You have to go back and realize what and realize that it's not all that, and and go back and find out what what's wrong about you. And I and I that's when after the losses, I said, you know what? I'm going to start with the education. I'm going to go. I'm going to go and and start writing, write about what I know. I'm not going back to school to get PhDs. And then, no, I'm going to write about what I know. And then at least I'll find uh, contentment. I'll find something from there because I, I have to go back. Because after you losing money, after going, you know, as a matter of fact, even from the house, I had to leave the, my house and two kids. Many things were, were, was happening to me. We're talking 2008, 2009. And that's when I decided to, to move up. Go back to to Miami, reopen my business because I had lost it. Reopen my tax, uh, uh, at least the tax business, and then start from there. But in the mind, I say I have to not only look at the education, but I have to keep the spiritual strong because I, I believe in prayer. I say I gotta keep praying, and then. Keep looking at things, not from today, but in the future. And then I said, you, yes, I lost basically my family, but I'm not going to believe that that's all emotion was. So I look at myself and say, keep going. So I opened up this, I reopened the business in 2010 and continue on writing about this book. Well, in so your... This, in your book, you talk about four essential elements of life and how to control them to live a successful and happy life. You call them the four E's. Give us those four E's. All right. So looking at the four E's, number one, I, I mentioned uh, the spiritual, okay, because uh, the spiritual, I believe, this is the time when you go to sleep, okay? Sleeping, for me, is when the body, the body really gives up. He says, I'm tired, I'm gone, whatever happened to me, it happens. But for me, I think that's when the spiritual really takes over. And you call because it the esprit, which is French for spirit, but it's, but it's spelled with an E, esprit. You know, esprit, yes. <laughs> and everybody understands that because I think there's a company called like that. Right. Now, esprit stands for, uh, we know, everybody knows, it's like something we cannot touch, but that is also you can allow that to control life or your life. That's the spirit. And then we mentioned, I mentioned the education. And I put it as it is in your right hand. Because with education, I believe once you, control, once you have it controlled or once you control education, it doesn't have to be uh, having a PhD. It doesn't have to be someone with a PhD or a master's or no. It's what you know, what you've learned in life, either from the bench uh, bus bench or the school bench, but you, you use it 
to control life or you use it to to have a, a positive experience in life and that's that's for me education and also i mentioned the, the, the I will leave education last, and I, I mentioned the emotion, and that's one thing that was really, really uh, strong, or, or I would say, in my life. I, I really believe in family. I thought, you know, that was it. You know, once you have a, 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 a wife, you have kids, and everything. But what happens if, if if that is gone? What happens if something happens? Are you going to? out of balance? Are you going to be out of balance? Are you going to be out of, uh, you know, are you going to kill yourself? Because that also, I know a lot of people concentrate, uh, contemplate suicide when they lost uh, dear ones. So I say, no, 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 no. You have also, you have to control the emotion side of life. Because that, with the control of emotion, it means how do you how do you love someone? How do you accept things? How do you how do you approach families? How do you approach people? And say how much you love them when when, they, or to hold on to that thought or to that uh, statement when the time is right. So I think that's the control of the emotion. And then last, I speak about um, I speak about educate. Excuse me, I, I speak about economy. The, the four E's. You know, when somebody tells you, "Oh, I'm well," for me, well is spelled with W E E E E. L L, you know, well means for me W. It has to be when somebody tells you I'm well, you have to think of the four E's that exist in life before because everything else will be inside that. Now the 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 E for economy, I put it last, and in the book also you you would have probably to read it to understand. But in the book also I put the E for the E for economy at the bottom that means if you look at the four e's you put them like on a cross you will see that on the right we have education on the left you have emotion on top you have uh, the uh, esprit the spiritual or the eternal and at the bottom you have the economy what i mention is don't worry about the money don't worry about the money because i went after it and i and i i fall I mean, and I fell on my face, okay? I did fall, but now I'm getting back. I'm walking toward a balanced life, a balanced life. I'm walking toward a balanced life. Now, the, the, the economy side of it, I'm, I'm saying if you concentrate on your education, you concentrate on your emotion, you concentrate on your, your spiritual, everything else that you do, it will bring money, it will bring the finance, it will bring the economy, because... You know, it, it, I, I've tried it. I've tried. I went after the money. I fell. I didn't. I, I lost it all. But when I realized, look, you know, it's that's it. Let me start writing my books. Let me start. Let me start. Uh, you know, sleeping well. Okay. Let me start. Um, you know, loving people. Whether I lost this or not, no. Let me start loving people. Let me start embracing people and helping, of course. And then that's when. I realize, wait a minute, this is a balanced life. This is how people should balance their life. Anise, we have about, we've just got a couple minutes left here. Uh, oh, boy. It's uh, obviously a motivational self-improvement book, a lot of guidelines, a lot of tips for the readers. A uh, big question, uh, are you going to be available for the reader just as other motivational authors are? 
Yes, I am. As a matter of fact, I'm planning on going from cities to cities based on the uh, workbook that I have uh, there at the end of the, of the book. If they fill it out, they send it to me by email, by fax, or we can, or by Facebook. We can, I can be in, in different cities, like physically, or they can also reach me on my uh, website. Mm -hmm. Very good. And you're a professor. You mentioned uh, this book is for teachers or for students? Yes. Now, basically, I'm, I'm an instructor. I'm a real estate instructor in the state of Florida. Also, I teach uh, about uh, taxes as, a, as an accountant. I'm also a CPA candidate in the state of Florida. So I teach um, bookkeeping courses, tax courses, and this book, uh, it's, a it's a beginning, or of course, if it helps you rebalance or balance your life. But um, that's why I say it's men I mentioned teachers because you, anybody who's, te who's teaching can use this, okay, for, for, for their students. And any students who are going to school for their education can use it to see where they can go while educating themselves, while educating um, themselves to see if they can, uh, to, see, to use this book as a guide to, to balance life. Well, and you give a vital visualization, you uh, provide a balanced life watch or the AB watch. Uh, you can help people determine whether they're living a balanced life and where improvements are needed and how that person can achieve happiness through a balanced life. It sounds like a very comprehensive and and yet real right down to the uh, basics, right? Right down to the bottom line, the daily things you have to do. That's right. That's the word. They're going back to the basic, going back to the basics. Because when you look at your watch, now it just gives you time. What time it is, which is very relative to what you're doing. But uh, my watch, the watch I'm proposing to you, it's like, look at it sometimes and you see whether you balance educationally or, uh, you know, financially or both. Or you can, if it's six o'clock in my watch, that means you are, you probably balance educationally, uh, spiritually, and, um, you know, emotionally or educationally. That means you can look at it like that. But there will be a time when, when you look at the watch and there's no time. You cannot tell time because you are fully balanced. And that's the watch I'm proposing. And I'm, as a matter of fact, I'm having it built now. I'm having it design, it's designed already, but I'm, I'm getting a specimen soon so I can sell it to you. The title of the book, A Balanced Life, How to Achieve Success in Every Area of Your Life, and the author, Anise Blumure. Anise, tell us how to get your book. You can go on www.iuniverse.com iUniverse.com, or you can go on Amazon or any major bookseller is selling the book now. And um, that's that's it. You can call me too, three six five three five two nine five. And you have a website. I have a website. It's uh, abfinancials.com. That's the main website, and um, the the book you can get it right there. Anise, thank you for being with us on iUniverse Radio. Thank you. Thank you. It's a pleasure iUniverse Radio is brought to you by iUniverse, the leading book marketing, editorial services, and supported self-publishing company. iUniverse Radio is produced by TogiNet Radio. Radio with a cutting edge.